This is Christ, Culture, and Coffee, an apologetics podcast to help equip Christians to engage the culture through biblical, critical thinking. Hello, welcome to Christ, Culture, and Coffee. I'm Robbie Lashua. And this is Tyler Hurley. We're back for another uh, another episode of our podcast. Today we're going to be talking about something really interesting Um I think it has more to do with culture than anything, maybe Christian culture, Mm -hmm. uh, talking about uh, the passion translation of the Bible. Um, Got a lot to say about that. But first, we always start with a coffee tip. Absolutely. Absolutely. They are the best. So a couple years ago, Tyler, you and I went to New Orleans for a conference. We went with our friend Mm -hmm. Woody Gant. And uh, while we were out there, I think like every night we went to Café du Monde, which is a really famous cafe right on the Mississippi River. I think there were some times where we went there three times a day. (laughs) Yeah, it was awesome. It was delicious. And they have beignets and they have this special kind of coffee, Mm -hmm. uh, chicory coffee. And so we thought we would talk a little bit about that. But um, did you enjoy that coffee while we were (laughs) out there? It was fantastic. It's like like really good. Yeah, I I just remember uh, going there too. Like the the taste of the beignets are something else. Because when you you taste it and you're eating the beignet, uh, like eating beignets from somewhere else like I remember on the trip we even went uh, a couple blocks down and we tried a different place that claimed that it was like similar to Cafe du Monde uh-huh. and uh, they had the they had similar coffee there too I believe if I'm not mistaken but neither of them were comparable like it's weird it's only there you can taste it like that genuine and I'm sure yeah can, where they originated from in um it's in France right yeah yeah, yeah cherry coffee's from France yeah, yeah. I'm sure it, like uh, besides in France uh, as far as in America is concerned, uh, Cafe du Monde is probably the only place you can get that authentic so. of a beignet with that type of coffee. With that kind of, yeah, it's it's so good. Um, that trip, yeah, we went there too much. I think <laughs> it was great though. <laughs> no, we should have gone there more. Honestly. We should have. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but um, so chicory coffee. Um, if you've never tried it, you really should. You sh- you should look for the Cafe du Monde uh, brand of it. They sell it at some grocery stores. I think you can get it at like world market Mm -hmm. and at sprouts. Um, but basically chicory is this, it's a root. Um, it's, it's a root of a plant that's kind of close. It's, it's, it's related to the endive, uh, the endive plant. And the endive is where we get, um, a, a certain type of lettuce from. Um, but it's not the same root now that, that we get endive lettuce from. But, um, anyways, this root grows and they, they harvest it and then they, um, they, uh, break it up into small pieces and they roast it just like you would roast coffee. And, uh, the, the caramelization happens in it um there's no caffeine in chicory but what they do is after they roast it they they mix it with coffee and it gives it this distinct man rich dark smoky flavor it's so so good um but there's there's again there's still coffee mixed Mm -hmm. with it and and the the reason for that was during the french uh revolution and the french civil war um uh they were trying to make coffee go further and so it was like a it was like a necessary it's like a filler like oh we can put this in with our coffee and it makes our coffee last longer we don't use as many beans up <laughs> that's that's, that's cool. kind of how it started um, but it's actually really good and so again because it started in the French Civil War um, that's uh, that's why it's popular in New Orleans because yeah. it was founded by the, the French and then it's also uh, not only just 
made of that, but it's also half milk too, right? Well, yeah. The, it's so the one that they get, have there. Yeah, Cafe Dumont, if you get Cafe Olay, they'll put milk in it. You can drink it black. I've had, really? I didn't yeah, know that. That's yeah, cool. I've had black um, chicory coffee. It's good. Um, but you can put milk in it or, or uh, cream or whatever you like. You can put sugar in it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's actually in the, in the grounds. You know, when they're making the coffee, the chicory root is with the coffee. They grind it together and then they. That's cool. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, because I, I I knew I knew obviously you could put stuff in it, but I thought at Cafe Du Monde the the way they did it, they just only served it that way. But that's interesting. I think you okay. can get it black there too if you want. It's just not as good. Oh, of course. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah you it want the milk really good with, with the beignet. That. Yeah. Yeah. But I'd encourage you if you haven't tried chicory coffee. It's spelled C H I C O R Y. Um, it is really good. And you should go out and try some chicory coffee. I'd, I'd highly recommend it's it. It's really good. <laughs> it is. It's a little different, but it's, uh, man, it's good. So that is our coffee tip uh, for today. So um, moving into talking about this translation of the Bible that's called the Passion Translation. Mm-hmm. Um, few, uh, it was probably two months ago, I was at church, and this lady uh, said she wanted to ask me a question. And she said, hey, what do you know about the Passion Translation of the Bible? Is it a good translation? And I automatically thought of the Passion Movement by Louis Giglio, I did right? Too. And I love, I mean, I love Louis Giglio. He's, he's great. He's orthodox. He teaches scripture. Um, um, what all, all he's doing with Passion yeah. City Church is it's, amazing. It's crazy too. Our, our college group currently has been going through a video series by Louis Giglio too. Yeah. So he's he's like, wonderful. I I love that guy. So when she said um, the Passion Translation, I thought Louis Giglio, and so I immediately thought, oh yeah, that must be really good if Giglio's behind it, if the Passion City Church is behind it. Mm. Um, but then I looked into it, and it's not them at all. Uh, it's a completely different group, and it's not a good translation, like, at all. Um, we're going to go through what, what it is, um, but, but just right off the bat, be very wary of the Passion Translation of the Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, I was looking through the Version Bible app. And it is now in there. It's it's added as a translation of the Bible. Uh, and I'm hoping that after today, um, you you won't use it for study. You won't use it for devotions. Yeah, and it's, just so you know the abbreviation, it's uh, TPT. Yeah, TPT, the Passion Translation. So let's get into talking a, about it a, a little bit. Um, so obviously right away... It presents itself as a translation, not a paraphrase, right? Like the message or the living Bible. Those are kind of uh-huh. paraphrases or amplified versions. Um, the TPT, it, it, in its very name, it says it's a translation. And, and they actually present it as something that you should do um, serious Bible study with. They even say you should preach from it. Um, and I want, I want to read to you a little bit from their uh, website. Uh, they say that the Passion Translation is an excellent translation you can use as your primary text to seriously study God's Word because it combines the best aspects of what's called formal and functional equivalent Bibles. It's a balanced translation that tries to hold both the Word's literal meaning and original message in proper tension resulting in an entirely new, fresh, fiery translation of God's word. Furthermore, this is the first modern English translation to use Aramaic, the language of Jesus and the disciples, as a lens through which to view God's original word to us, a word of truth and love. So that's that's directly from the Passion Translation website. Um, 
And there's just, there's, there's so many problems with this translation. And I, I don't want to be overly harsh, but uh, as we were talking about it today, Tyler, it's, it's bad. Yeah, it's terrible. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is. And, and we want to warn people and, and we want to help people to, to see um, and to think through these things. Because you, cause you mm. see it on the Bible app and you think, oh, this is cool. Yeah, and well, you also think, too, I, I was just talking about this earlier. It's just sad to think, though. Um, I mean, we're going to dive more into the, all the issues that, and why we uh, believe that this is tr- the case. But it's sad to think that uh, people are going to like walk into Christian bookstores that have this yeah. and they're going to see this like published everywhere. And I mean, they're going to think this is g- genuinely the word of God. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I mean, heck, I thought about, about it for myself, too. Uh, I've gotten like o- over the years growing up, I would get uh, a Bible every other year from uh, whether it be my parents or a grandparent, like as a gift. Mm-hmm. Uh, a new Bible, like, and I, I think like the, like I saw the ad they have for it. It's got like a fancy casing and everything. Yeah. It just like they make it look like a really like special type of Bible, like one that fits in with the rest of the translations, and it's yep. the Word of God basically. But it's just sad because people are going to buy into this idea, thinking that it's it's genuine, and then they're going to be led astray basically. And it just yeah, and I, I think there's a lot of 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 wrong within it, and and we want to talk about that. But before yeah. we do that, so. So th- there's one man who is behind this translation. Uh, his name is Brian Simmons. He's the sole translator of the Passion Translation. And saying translator, I think, is generous um, because because I don't. It's not it, it's not it's a translation. Author. Yeah. And so, um, do you want to share? We we watched a video about what he claims happened to him and and why he wrote this. Do you want to share a little bit about that? <laughs> yeah, sure. He. Uh... Yeah, it's crazy because uh, um, I didn't even know about this at all, and it's shocking to me that he, this video came out back in 2015. Mm-hmm. But uh, he basically claimed that what happened to him in 2009, this happened, he said uh, Jesus visited him in his room, and he said that as he came to him, he breathed on him and then commissioned him to write a new translation of the Bible. And then Simmons also says that it felt like heaven's wind, the rock, the breath, the wind of God came upon me and he spoke to me and said, I'm commissioning you to translate the Bible into the translation project that I'm giving you to do. And he promised that he would help me and he promised that he would give me the secrets of the Hebrew language. The secrets. The secrets. See, and this, right away, you hear something like this. And now now the thing is this, could Jesus visit people if he wants to? Of course he can. Of course he can. Um, but, but he, he's coming and saying, I'm giving you this new thing to do. I'm going to give you secrets. Secrets implies stuff that nobody else knows or has. And that, that sounds really, um, somewhat cultish. It does. I'm reminded Joseph Smith says a similar thing. You know, he had his translation of the Bible. Um, the Jehovah's Witnesses have the new world translation of the Bible where they, they're proclaiming that yeah. they're interpreting it through the lens. And of, they change major things. Yeah, they change major, major tenets. They add words to Scripture. They take words away, which is prohibited in Revelation at the, at the end of the book. Yeah, and then John says, do not take away from these words of prophecy. That's, right? that's Don't really, do that. And is, so when, whenever you hear somebody saying that that's, somebody showed up to them and has given them this new revelation and that they're getting secrets that others don't have— um, it, there, it, it should be a red flag. 
It should well, be a red flag. It's especially weird, just because, uh, um, like, he also mentioned in his video, I just remembered it, that he said uh, that when he was up, like, visiting with Jesus, that he took him to heaven, basically, and then showed mm -hmm. him this whole library. And then uh, he said that he saw on the shelf that there was a book. Mm -hmm. And he said, but Jesus said, no, you can't take this one with you. Yep. And he said that the title on the book was John 22. John 22. And now the problem with that is that the Gospel of John only has 21 chapters. Yeah, but he's claiming that there's a John 22 in heaven locked away. And Jesus doesn't want to give it to the world because he said it would reveal him to everyone and people would come to him. Yeah, uh, well, and, and I, I have a quote about that. Um, Brian said that Jesus told him while he was in heaven seeing the book John 22, Jesus said, quote, I will bring you back one day and I will give you that book. So this guy, Brian Simmons, is claiming that one day he's going to be able to go back to heaven and Jesus is going to give him John chapter 22, whatever that is. And now I don't know why he's saying that. If he, if he wants to add to scripture later on, or if he, I, I have, I have no idea what's going on here. It's but you hear so things like this. There's, there's so many problems with it. And as you were, we were talking earlier, and you said, you know, in the original uh, manuscripts, there, there weren't chapter. Yeah, and there verses. weren't even numberings. There weren't numberings. So, so why is John twenty two in it heaven have been listed? That it should, like, realistically, if you're thinking about this, like, if we're talking, if this was an original manuscript that was locked away in heaven, yeah, it would be for one, it wouldn't be a book. Yeah, it would be it, like if you're saying if what he's claiming is that it was if it one was that what was John wrote, it'd be a scroll. Yeah, probably. it would be a scroll yeah. or like parchment and yep. not a physical hardback copy book like he was claiming it was that had. Yeah, there's John so much wrong with it. Um, but just to even say that there's more to the Book of John than we have is just interesting. Well, mm. I, I want to get into this a little bit. Um, he he also claims, and this is really important, that his version is so revolutionary because it's going back to the original. Aramaic language. Yeah. Now, a couple of things about this. Jesus and his disciples, they did speak Aramaic. We, we know this. There's no problem with that. But the, the New Testament was not written in Aramaic. No. So how can you go back to the original Aramaic with the New Testament and, and claim that you know what it means in Aramaic. If you look through the TPT, you know, the, the Passion Translation, the footnotes will say this word in Aramaic means this. But it wasn't written in Aramaic. No. It was written in Greek. Um, I have a quote here from, uh, from uh, Brian Simmons. He says, For centuries it's been believed that the New Testament was first written in Greek. Some scholars now lean increasingly towards the thought that Aramaic and Hebrew texts of the New Testament are the original manuscripts and that many of the Greek texts are copies and a second generation from the originals. This radically uh, changing translation, this is radically tran changing translation concepts and will result in many new translations of the New Testament based on Aramaic, end quote. Um, this is just completely false. Uh, completely false. Paul did not. Paul did not write in Aramaic any of his letters. Luke did not write in Aramaic. Mark did not write in Aramaic. Um, we and the other thing is this, Tyler, is that um, he's saying many scholars. He doesn't t say who. 
He's not transparent with his study. He never, I I was looking all through it. Uh, Even on the Passion Translation website, you know, it says, is this just written by one guy? Is this a sole authorship? And he says, yeah, but there's been um, um, other people who've helped with the notes. But even on there, he doesn't say who helped with the notes. And I was going to say, I don't know if we uh, we wrote this down, quoted it, but uh, I, I remember in the uh, we when we were talking about this a while ago, uh, wasn't there a, like a, um, an actual biblical scholar who came out and said, it, like made a whole... A list of reasons how why this translation, so self-proclaimed translation, yeah. I should say, is basically just a paraphrase, and it's nothing to do like because uh, he's claim. What I'm saying here is basically he's claiming that uh, scholars are coming out and saying like that this is. Yeah, which is just untrue. It, it, but yeah. scholars, so, scholars are against this idea. That's what I'm saying, and, yeah. and these are the reasons why um, evidence. <laughs> I don't know how to say it. Evidence That's points right. to the fact that the New Testament was written in Greek, and specifically it's the manuscript evidence. So we have uh, almost 6,000 Greek manuscripts in our possession. So not stuff we've heard about, but things you can hold in your hand today that are in museums that date way back um, to close to the time the New Testament documents were written. For instance, uh, the John Ryland papyri, it's the earliest uh, known Greek manuscript we have. It's about the size of a credit card. Um, it's uh, front and back. There's there's Greek on it, not Aramaic, Greek. Yeah. And it's it comes from the Gospel of John. And it dates to, some scholars believe it dates to about 120 to 125 AD. So if John wrote around 90, and we're talking really close to the time he wrote, and they actually found it in Egypt, which meant that the Gospel had spread that far. <laughs> in in a little amount of time, which is fascinating. But not only do we have a lot of fragment pieces like that we found that mm-hmm. are from the second, third, fourth century, we literally have almost whole books of the New Testament in Greek mm-hmm. from the fourth century. Uh, uh, Codex uh, Vaticanus and Codex Sinaiticus are two of them. Uh, Codex Vaticanus is almost a complete Old Testament and New Testament. And guess what language it's in? Greek. Greek, <laughs> not Aramaic. It's it's in Greek, and um, it dates to the fourth century A.D. Uh, we also have, uh, like I said, Sinaiticus, and again, it's extra, it's so there's so much New Testament in it. There's 148 leaves containing the New Testament, and again, it's also in Greek. So this idea that scholars believe that the originals were written in Aramaic. It's just unfounded because we don't have an Aramaic sources this early at all. The earliest source in Aramaic we have is called the Syriac Peshitta, and what we have of it um, in, in New Testament uh, Aramaic comes from the 5th century. Hmm. That's as old as it gets. So if you're looking at manuscript evidence, you go, man, there's a ton of Greek manuscripts earlier than this. It doesn't seem like Aramaic was first and then Greek. It seems like Greek was first and then and Aramaic. Aramaic. Yeah, and so that that's a that's a huge um, huge issue with this translation. They're saying we're going back to the original. There's there's nothing to go back to. That's as far as it goes. That's the whole. That's point. as yeah. far as it goes. Yeah, and so so they're making um, judgment calls or they're maybe translating Greek words back into Aramaic, or maybe they're just going with the Syriac Peshitta and what it says, 
it's, it's just not a good way to go about translation. You want to go with the majority of manuscripts. Or maybe it's just changing the Bible to fit the whole idea of apostolic. Yeah, the apostolic reformation. Mm. Well, and that's what these guys are a part of, this, this movement that they believe that they are modern-day apostles. Not that they have apostolic gifts, but that they have the office of apostle mm. and that the church falls under their guidance and leadership. Not, not just their church, but our church. We do. All churches Everyone should fall is. under their apostolic leadership. And there's actually stuff in words that were added to Scripture in the, the Passion Translation that kind of make people think, oh, they might be adding this to, to um, give credence to their apostolic reformation. Um, anyway, we, we can't get into the whole NAR, New Apostolic yeah, Reformation a, today. There's so much to talk about with that, with that, with their prophets and, and prophecies that haven't come true. Um, so many so many issues. Um, but this translation is a is a problem. Um, so let's let's look at some of the scriptures. Um, uh, I, I just pulled up four verses, and, and we'll look at like what the NASB, the New American Standard, or the ESV, the English Standard Version Bible, translate these verses as, and then we can look at what the Passion Translation uh, uh, translates them as. So mm. let's go ahead. Um, yeah, you want to you want to go ahead and read us Philippians one two from the NASB. Yeah, sure. So. Uh, in the NASB, it says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. So, I mean, that seems pretty straightforward. Yeah. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians 1, 2. Yeah. All right. So what does the the Passion Translation say? Well, in the, tra- in the TPT here, it says, may the blessings of divine grace and supernatural peace that flow from God our Father, our wonderful Father, sorry, and our Messiah, the Lord Jesus, be upon you. So that's a lot of addition that's not in the original it, Greek. It's twice as long. It's twice as long. May grace, so it's in the NSB, grace to you and peace from God our Father. And they say, may the blessings of divine grace. So they're adding divine, supernatural mm. peace. They're adding supernatural. They're adding the blessings. All of those words, I looked at the Greek. They're not in there. They're mm-hmm. They're literally not there. So... This shouldn't be called the translation. It should be called the paraphrase or an amplified version because they're they're adding words to that what aren't God yeah. said. And then to claim, too, that this should be the main primary Bible that everyone uses, especially to preach from and study from, when yeah. it doesn't actually include any original, well, I shouldn't say any, but per- virtually there are tons of words there that they're adding that aren't in the original context. Yeah. That's that's just crazy. It is interesting, yeah. So why would you say this should be what people primarily yeah, study I mean, from or primarily preach from when you're adding words that it's, aren't there? It's one thing if they want to claim that it's a completely paraphrased, sure. uh, their own take on like words that they wanted to amplify. Like you said, amplified version. If It's yeah. one thing even if they said that. There's still problems with it. But even if they said that, yeah. There's that. But they're claiming that this is the text. And this is a translation. Yeah. That means something specific. It means they went to the originals and translated it to our language, but they're adding words that aren't there. Another example, let's let's look at, I love this one, uh, 2 Timothy 4.2. Do you want to read the ESV? And then we'll look at what the Passion Translation says. Yeah, sure. Uh, the ESV says, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. 
Yeah, and this is a very common. I remember in seminary, this is this. I got a, um, a Christmas ornament with this verse on it in Greek. Right, it says "preach the word." Um, it's really cool. So this is a common uh, verse people are familiar with. So let, what does the Passion Translation say of Second Timothy four two? All right, it says, "Proclaim the word of God and stand upon it, no matter what. Rise to the occasion and preach it when it is convenient, and when it is not." Preach the full expression of the Holy Spirit with wisdom and patience as you instruct and teach the people. See, that section, preach the full expression of the Holy Spirit, is not there at all. No. They are literally adding all of those words. It all just, of those words. It just says preach the word it in says, the original preach the word yeah that's and all it says as they far translate as it proclaim the word instead of preach but then they add this whole section preach the fullness exp- preach in the full expression of the holy spirit that isn't there so so what are they pushing with that why are they adding to god's word and not I mean, they. Why is cra- Brian Simmons? It's one man, right? I keep yeah, saying it's crazy. they. It isn't a they. It's a one guy. <laughs> and then I was going to say, too, like we even have like uh, the, the verse in NASB here. If you compare the two, like this is just an idea of like like an actual translation. Like the, the words, if you look between. Yeah, the, if them. you look at NASB, if you look at ESV, if you look at NIV, they're all really similar. Yeah, all of them. They're all really, really close to – because they're going to the, the original – they're going back to the Greek manuscripts. Exactly. And they're saying this it's is all- what's there. Brian Simmons is adding stuff that is just, it's nowhere to be found. Uh, Romans 1, 16 mm-hmm. through 17, let's go ahead and look at that. People are very familiar yeah. with this verse. So Romans 1, 16 through 17, let's look at the ESV. Yeah, and in the ESV it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in, in it the righteousness, of, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Super common. A lot of people have memorized this verse. Mm-hmm. So what does the Passion Translation say? Passion Translation says, I refuse to be ashamed of sharing the wonderful message of God's liberating power unleashed in us through Christ. For I am thrilled to preach that everyone who believes is saved, the Jew first, and then people everywhere. This gospel unveils a continual revelation of God's righteousness, a perfect righteousness given to us when we believe, and it moves us from receiving life through faith to the power of living by faith. This is what the scripture means when it says, we are right with God through life-giving faith. That's like three times as long as the ESV version. It's I mean, yeah. What what is going on here? There's so much added that's not in the original at all. I mean, at at all. Why why does he say this is a translation? It's not a translation. He's adding to scripture. And then this last one, I I just mm. think is very interesting. And and this one is is very subtle. Oh, this is great. So Matthew ten two. Matthew ten two. In the ESV, it says. The names of the twelve apostles are these. First, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. Um, and then uh, verse 3 goes on to name the other, the other twelve. Mm-hmm. Or not the other twelve, but the rest. So in the, in the Passion Translation of Matthew 10 to, this is what it says. 
It says, now these are the names of the first 12 apostles. First Simon, who is nicknamed Peter, and Andrew his brother, and then Jacob and John, sons of Zebedee. So not too much different there, except that he calls James Jacob, which mm. is actually James' real name. Jacob's his name. It was when the King James translation happened. Uh, King James wanted his name in the Bible, so they changed all the Jacobs in the New Testament to James. So this is this is more correct in the sense that it's Jacob, because that's what it says. Uh-huh. But th- the problem with this is that the ESV says the names of the 12 apostles are these. First, Simon. The TPT says now these are the names of the first 12 apostles. First, Simon. So by putting the first 12 apostles... He's insinuating that there's more apostles. Does that make sense? That these were the first ones, but that he, as well as uh, uh, other guys that are his friends that are in this yeah. movement, are and so, now apostles. And yeah. I looked at the Greek. I looked at the Greek um, New Testament today, and that word is not there at all. The mm. first re- re- refers to Simon who is nicknamed Peter, but in in the Passion Translation, he still has it there. He has first Mm -hmm. Simon, but he's just making up and adding this other word to put the first First 12 12. apostles. It's literally not in the text. That's what I was saying earlier, is that with the whole, uh, um, this whole agenda, the movement that they have going on, I'm like, it just, it seems like really what's going on here is when either he's, absolutely nuts and he act genuinely believes that he was spoken to by god and that mm-hmm. he wrote this down think, think claiming that this is from christ mm-hmm. or he's just lying and he i mean and it's kind of obvious too especially when you look at passages like this where he he's trying to further further push this idea that there's more apostles than the original 12 yeah what, what what's really interesting is in studying about all of this um, I was I was reading so many critiques of mm-hmm. the Passion Translation, and it's not like he just dropped this whole book. Like even in the Bible app, he only has I think Psalms, Proverbs, and Song of Solomon. Oh yeah, translated yeah. from the Old Testament. He has a whole New Testament, but only those three from the Old Testament because he was translating them um, book by book over the past. I think well, he said in two thousand nine he got commissioned to do it. So mm-hmm. over the past. Nine years, he's been slowly rolling out book after book after book, right? Mm-hmm. And so there were like first editions of Galatians, first editions, of, you know, of Paul's mm-hmm. Paul's letters, and people have critiqued them and pointed these things out. Um, and so I was reading these critiques and I was seeing them saying, "This is what the Passion Translation says, and this is what the original says, and these are the words he added." Um, and there was even one that talked about how Paul was decreeing over people these things and and somebody mentioned that he put that in there when it's not in the original because as an apostle he wants to decree things over people so i was looking in the 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 up-to-date passion translation and a lot of those rebuttals a lot of those things that people said were in it they've removed and Mm -hmm. aren't in the passion translation anymore and i thought about this He's claiming Jesus came and commissioned to him and told him, I'm going to give you the secrets of the Hebrew language, which, again, the New Testament, he's only he's only translated three of the Old Testament books. Mm-hmm. The New Testament is written in Greek. So what is this whole secrets of the Hebrew or of the Aramaic dialect? It's just, it's, it's bizarre. But if Jesus showed up to you and said, I'm commanding you to do this, and even in the video we mm-hmm. watched, Brian said, I'm doing this as an act of obedience. 
And then he translates these things and people are scrutinizing it, saying, no, 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 you're adding these words for your agenda. They're not in the original. And now he's redacted a lot of that. So either he's not obeying what Jesus told him to do, which I think is a problem, <laughs> or Jesus really didn't tell him to do those things, and that's why he's he's oh. taking these things out that people have pointed out saying, hey, this is not good, this is not original. And again, yeah. he hasn't taken everything out. The verses we looked at today, those are all in the current Passion Translation Bible. But he's taken many, many things out that he originally had um, because of the criticism of scholars and mm-hmm. of other people who have said, no, you're, you're pushing an agenda here. So it just seems dishonest either way you look at it. It, it just – that's what I'm saying. Like, like, it's just clear to me. I just – uh, th- that, that's why I lean more on the, the liar side of this mm-hmm. rather than him genuinely believing it. Because if you think about it, if, if, if he genuinely believed – like you said just now, if he genuinely believed that Jesus – told him to write these things down mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden he's retracting these verses from from the book that was prophesied by christ like yeah. that's just crazy like i don't like i think it, it's simple that that's the whole point is he's just focusing on this whole aspect of of just trying to push out this new idea and that's yeah that's all there is to it it's the fame and the the spotlight of it yeah, uh, maybe or maybe to sell or maybe to push the agenda. I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know, know what his motives are, but I know this is not a good translation. And so, a, a lot of times, I mean, the ESV is a relatively new translation. Mm-hmm. It's great, but but do you know how they do translations? There's not one guy translating it. No, it's There's a whole a committee. Com- yeah, it's a whole committee of it's Greek scholars, of of Hebrew scholars, of theologians. And if you open up any Bible, I mean, the NIV, the NASB, the ESV, whatever. The first few pages will show you who was involved, <laughs> the yeah. scholars that did it, um, why they they translated certain words the way they did. They explain it. There's like transparency. Then, but with yeah. the TPT, there's none of that. He doesn't tell you who these scholars are helping with the footnotes. Um, mm. there, there's nothing like that. And and again, um, I don't know his motives behind it, but that's what the, the Jehovah's Witnesses do, the Watchtower. They don't tell you who's writing these things. They don't tell you who their theologians are that are putting out these Watchtower magazines and pamphlets yeah, of they theology. Don't they don't say it. And so the, this passion translation, I just I, I want people to be aware of it. And, and now here's the thing, and, and we really do need to mention this. So Bethel Church in Redding, California is part of this movement, and and they use this to teach and preach from at their church. Mm-hmm. They think this is a good translation, and and this is where it we, we have to be on guard with these types of things and not be lulled to sleep because, you know, a lot of people like Bethel music, mm-hmm. and I think some of their music's really good. I think some they of their music, yeah. I think some of their theology is not good at all, and I totally disagree with it. But just because people are, like their music and it's popular doesn't mean their theology is sound. No. And if they're pushing this kind of thing, we saw their senior pastor, Bill Johnson, he's the first listed uh, endorser on the Passion Translation website. And he says something to the effect of, this is the greatest thing to happen to scripture in my lifetime. <laughs> and you go, whoa, whoa, wait a second, man. And so just because um, a church is popular or because their their worship music is popular doesn't mean what they're doing is, is good. And so, I, I again, it's, it's hard to come down on people, but I, 
I cannot recommend people read or, or use the Passion Translation. Not at all. There's just so much in there that's not in the original text, and it's pushing a specific agenda that I think is harmful, and I, I think it's untrue mm-hmm. to, to what Scripture actually teaches. Mm. Yeah, it's just, it's sad. Like, oh, I, it just, the idea that someone would, like, hold this, too, and think mm-hmm. that, like, you know, like, that's the actual Word of God, and they're reading this, and they get misled over these things. It's, it's tricky. It's people. sad, yeah. It is. So, if, if you'd like to study this more in depth, I highly encourage you to go to this website. It's spiritoferror.org. Spiritoferror.org. It's by a lady named Holly Pivik, and she, um has been blogging about the New Apostolic Reformation for years. I mean, and she has exhaustively studied this. And you can look at all these links to videos of what these guys are saying, even the videos that we've referred to. She's got links to all of this. She's got stuff about the Passion Translation and about this movement. And I'd highly recommend you go educate yourself on what's going on and and all of the different aspects of who's involved because this involves Bethel music, Bethel church, Jesus culture, international house of prayer, uh, on and on and on. A lot of people are part of this group pushing this type of theology, um, and I think it's dangerous to the Christian community, to the Christian to the Christian culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, another book that I'd recommend you read is uh, called A New Apostolic Reformation. A Biblical Response to a Worldwide Movement, and it's by Douglas Gavette and Holly Pivik, uh, the lady whose website we mentioned. It's just really great, succinct, helps you think biblically about what's going on. Um, but we, we want you as our listeners to be informed, and we don't want you to mm, be caught yeah. unaware. And I know that most of you don't read Greek and Hebrew, and I'm a nerd, and I like that kind of stuff. <laughs> um, but it's it's as as pastors, theologians, apologists, it's our job to to protect the flock, mm-hmm. and so we just want people to know about this and and to be warned. So, thanks for yeah. joining us today. It's been really uh, great talking about this. I hope it's been impactful and informing to you. And um, we we have loved getting questions in over yeah, the past couple of weeks. Yeah, it's great. And we, we've been getting questions in, and uh, we're, over time we're going to be answering them. But please, if you have any more that you would like to uh, for us to address, uh, whether on our podcast or whether we message you about it, yep. um, just let us know, and we'll try to get back to you. So Also, if you would uh, help us out and share our podcasts um write us some if, you, if you're on if you're on itunes write us some reviews uh rate us because uh those things really help get the message out there and we want mm, we want to yeah. be able to influence more and more people with truth and with these uh ways that we can impact our culture for christ so if you would share it or if you would rate it or if you would review it or any of those other things that you can That'd be do, awesome <laughs> we'd really appreciate it so tyler it's been it's been fun talking to you yeah it's been awesome i'm excited uh that we were able to unpack all this pretty well uh it's it was a fun topic. A I fun liked, topic, like yeah. Learning more about this from you too today. So it's pretty cool. cool. So, all right. Well, thanks for joining us today on Christ, Culture, and Coffee. We'll see you next time. Yep. See ya. You have been listening to Christ, Culture, and Coffee, a podcast ministry of Desert Springs Community Church in Goodyear, Arizona. For more information, visit our website at dscchurch.com.